Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Places Will Go show. We have another stellar guest with us today. I'm delighted with the fact that we've got Richard Robinson with us. Actually, I've known Richard for a number of years um, and uh, been involved in things where I've sort of been on the other side of the, the camera or the microphone. Um, and so this time around, I'm very happy to be turning the tables a little bit. Um, Richard doesn't need that much introduction, but let, let's do that because it's quite impressive, I have to say. Uh, Richard is Managing Director of Exium and Oyster Catchers, which are, are big chunks of the Centaur Group. So, and, and has been involved in the marketing industry for many, many years. And actually, Last year, by Bima was um, called out as one of the 10 most influential leaders in digital and tech. Um, you could go so far to say, as Richard is a guru in marketing performance and digital transformation, uh, but also is um, a standout diversity champion and has been recognized in many areas um, as an advocate of women in the workplace, including the FT and Yahoo Finance. He holds several board positions as well, Creative Equals, No Turning Back and Edcom. Where do you get the time, Richard? Uh, He worked on the launch of Orange in the early 90s, so many accolades. He's worked at Coke, um, uh, McDonald's, and also Filofax. I think we need to find out about that one. That's an interesting uh, start to a career. We're also very grateful for Richard. He's a mentor for the School of Marketing. Uh, Richard has just turned 50, so we'll be getting some midlife reflections as well. I'm so grateful that you've come on the show, Richard, because most of all, I think you're just a really good bloke. So fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Richie. That's a fantastic entry. You didn't have to drop in the last bit about just turning 50. I'm, I'm still trying to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit, a bit better being 48, that's all. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, guys. Well, look, uh, Richard, super, super to have you on as well. And I really can't wait to get stuck into this. Look, I'm going to get kicked off with the first question here. What's front of mind at the moment for you? Uh, I think uh, two big things are happening at the moment. Uh, one is the metaverse. Um, it has landed, uh, <laughs> sort of landed from outer space at the moment. But you know, <laughs> I'm being asked about it the entire time by uh, CMOs. It's like, what does it mean? I mean, it, more, more from a more from an educational perspective at the moment. What, I mean, do, what does it mean? <laughs> it, it means that everything is going to change in the next 10 years. Uh, there was a time in sort of the, the 1990s where we all talked about convergence, for some of you remember, and that was where people talked about smartphones like this. And, you know, the wild and crazy thoughts of the Filofax that uh, Mark might be talking about, you know, maybe your camera, your Filofax, the internet, uh, your emails might all converge into the same thing. And, and you know, people said, this is crazy talk. That will never happen. Um, and it did. The metaverse will happen. We are all going to transform. And, you know, everything from Bitcoin to esports to branding to advertising to Fortnite to gaming to meetings. This meeting will be held in the metaverse probably within five years, if, if not quicker. And lots of CMOs are asking, what does that mean 
for me, and my question I ask them back is, well, who owns the metaverse inside your company? Who is the chief metaverse officer inside most brands? And the answer is, I have no idea. Nobody knows who owns the metaverse right now um, inside, inside a brand. So that's, that's sort of my number one I'm spending a lot of time talking about. And number two is obviously as everybody comes out of lockdown and sort of tries to move back to hybrid normality, uh, the big question is around marketing excellence. Of what, what does that mean for having a high-performing team? How do you enable people who are literally coming out of sort of almost hibernation inside their houses? They arrive back at the workplace maybe a couple of days a week. How do you give them the confidence and competence to operate in an environment where the customer journey has been less disrupted, it's been destroyed in the last two years. What, what does that mean for the future of communications and marketing when the customer is fundamentally different to the person that maybe you spoke to two years ago? Christmas advertising, about to kick off, which is brilliant, the high point of my exciting time of the year. Um, what does this mean for Christmas? How are people going to shop for Christmas? How, where are we getting our groceries from? How, what routines are we going to go through? The things we expect to happen no longer happen. Richard, I've barely thought about what I'm having for breakfast, but these are some big, big things that are on your mind. Awesome. Yeah, yeah well, as, as ever, focusing on the big hitting issues uh, are both fascinating. We'll come on, we'll come on to marketing excellence because you're right. It's the rules have changed. J- just to hover on the metaverse for a bit, it's, yeah. it, it is the, the talk of the town. Chief, CMO, Chief Metaverse Officer. I, I, I suppose, you know, people are going to need insurance inside the metaverse, aren't we? So well, maybe maybe one for direct line to put on the uh, on the back. Absolutely, but... you you can open you can open a store right now inside yeah. uh, inside the metaverse. So 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 for, as a for an agency for agency yeah. land, um, you know th- this is w- w- probably where pitches might play out. So what, very much so. What what do you think that? I mean, obviously nobody knows, but what do you think that might mean? Well, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So on Monday night, I was at uh, the launch of, I believe, the first creative agency inside the metaverse. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. They've built the agency, um, they're set up, they're open for business. Brands are obviously inside the metaverse. Coca-Cola, I think, is you know, a brand who's doing spectacular work. Um, they have all the plaudits at the moment, and the agency was asking the question about, so we believe we've gone first. Within, you know, let's face it, a few months, there's going to be half a dozen agencies inside the metaverse. The challenge was, well, how do you run a pitch inside the metaverse? How's, how is that going to happen? Um, I have to say, I didn't know the answer to that question. Um, but it's a very valid one. Do you run a pitch in the metaverse in the metaverse? Do you run a pitch outside the metaverse? I have to believe that we're going to be running the pitch inside the metaverse. It'd be a bit ludicrous not to. Um, and everybody therefore has to skill up. The adjacent industries that are going to come in um, are going to, all of us need to need to find the right way in and um, accommodate the new sort of communications. It's a bit like saying, you know, in the early days of the internet, you know, we're, we're launching on the internet, we need to run a digital pitch, and you try to run a digital pitch not having any involvement in digital, you farcical. So uh, intermediaries will have to morph and flex, and you'll be living inside the metaverse, and there's a massive business opportunity for somebody to do that. Either the oyster catchers will lean in and make that happen, or somebody will start that up and push it forward. We could maybe do it together as an offshoot from the School of Marketing, if you fancy that. Hey, hey, well, look, I mean, all, all, all big things. And uh, I'm intrigued, you know, I'm really intrigued by this. My, my mind is still in the in the zone of, I have no idea what on earth we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it all seems very conceptual to me. And and the one yeah. thing that, um, the one thing that I'm, I, I guess I can do, trying to go to a model of of something that I recognize is the whole notion of second life. You know, the, yes. the, the, the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. augmented reality sort of um, 
kind of uh, thing. And I, is it like that? Is it is that kind of thing we're talking about here, where people actually go in and have this augmented reality sort of virtual space where we can kind of walk around and and interact and be like just literally have that sort of you know be immersed into that environment? Is 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 that what it is, Richard? No idea. It, it, it is, but it's significantly more involved. So, so Second Life, you're always you're you were in a platform. Um, and you were therefore limited in what you can do. The metaverse is unlimited. The best, the best advice I could give you at the moment is go and go onto Amazon Prime or Netflix and watch Ready Player One, the film Ready Player One. It came out about three or four years ago. Watch that, okay, and remind yourself what on earth was going on inside Ready Player One. That's about the best education that we could all have right now, um, because it, 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 the, the commentary on it is to, you know, you are in a limitless, infinite world. I mean, there's, there's so many questions about what does this mean for politics? What does this mean for governments? What does this mean for the police, etc.? And, and where, what does this mean? I find that cryptocurrency is obviously the, the currency of choice. Um, uh, so that, so that, so at this stage, I would just say everybody should be educated. Maybe when Twitter first came out, I remember there was a moment in time where. I had to decide I'm going on Twitter and I have to learn about Twitter hungrily, enthusiastically to get my head around it. And I'm, I'm just in the same space now. It's just learning, 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 learning. Um, and I know I'll be in that state probably the next three months, really, until I can talk really knowledgeably about it. So I'm just going to say something, guys. So Exium, probably one of the leading education marketing platforms out there, and they're just telling you to watch a Netflix movie. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You Off you go. <laughs> but but it, um, it it reminds me that marketers need to stay curious. Yes, um, perpetually and infinitely curious because you know you you know people said the world would go lean and maybe they were wrong, but people said the world would go mobile and people the world would go agile and they were right. And so you, you at your peril ignore these things. So we've we've talked um very high level conceptual. Um, gives us something to ponder. But I want I want to turn to to you and I want to go back and i'm really just very curious to know how you got into marketing with the adjacent question of filofax what was yeah, that i know well the, the two things are connected actually yeah so um so i the most the pivotal moment in my life was completely stuffing my a-levels um so uh i was predicted higher grades than i got um i didn't get in into any of the universities i'd applied for um i went through clearing uh i went to polytechnic which is oxford polytechnic and um what was exciting about that was with hindsight it was the first time I actually took control of my life. I suddenly, I, I was now in charge of where I was going as a consequence of the grades that I got. Um, and because I went through clearing, I, I was always wanted to do history and I, I had to do a split degree. So I did history and educational studies. And what I learned was educational studies was far more exciting than history. And that's the study of how children and people learn. So it's not, it's not necessarily being a teacher, Although I, although I spend a lot of time teaching in primary schools and special needs schools, it's it's learning how children learn and therefore how you can influence their behaviour. That stayed with me throughout my whole career, both in terms of some of the things you mentioned earlier about inclusion and diversity, for example, and then the world of marketing. I realised that what I really enjoy doing more than anything, and I can't still explain why, you know, I am hardwired to be helpful. That's my thing. I like getting out of bed. I like helping people. Okay, so when you then get into marketing, the jobs that I do, it it helps if you're a really helpful person because you know I look at problems and I'm trying to analyze problems and move it forwards. But in answer to the question about final facts, what happened with marketing was um, 
I got to the end of the degree and I kind of defaulted back to what did I think was the right thing to do? And I filled out 93 graduate application forms to go to companies that all of them you can imagine. I got 92 rejections um, that came in and I got one uh, letter from Shell that said, please come to the interview. Well, this is amazing. So I went down with Shell Towers. Uh, and in uh, the time it took the person for me to walk in and the person was, well, well, I was still shaking hands with this person. He, he said, because uh, Oxford Polytechnic had just changed its name to Oxford Brooks University. He said, ah, Brooks College, Oxford University. That's one of the new colleges, isn't it? And I said, no, that's Oxford Polytechnic. And he was still shaking my hand. He goes, there's been a terrible mistake. Uh, he shouldn't be here. And I went, oh, Christ. So that's the end of everything as I know it. Um, but the, the fun part of the story, and I wish I knew this person's name because he had such an impact in my life, was I said, and I don't know why or how I had the confidence to do this. I said, I said, okay. I said, I understand the interview's over when it started. He said, yes. And I said, but I've still got 40 minutes with you. Could we just have a conversation? And he said, uh, what about? And I went, about me and what I'm doing wrong. And he said, okay. So we sat down and he said, what do you want to know? And I said, well, I've had 92 rejections. I've now had 93 rejections. What? where is it all going wrong here? And it's fa fascinating because his observation said, you are pretending, effectively, you think that you are a graduate coming out of a top university with an amazing degree. So I have got graduates coming from Oxford and Cambridge and every you know, university with firsts in every subject you might possibly imagine. You know, and that's not you. You, know, you need to find a job, not through the channels that you're going. This is not open to you. And although that sounds harsh, he really made me stop and think. I had sort of defaulted back into this world. I wasn't in control of my life. I was, I was playing by the rules of the game that somebody else had put down. And what I've learned is that when I don't play by the rules of the game, when I sort of um, uh, think around the problem, I don't need to go through the front door. I can go over it, under it, blow it up, really. I thought this is great. So I, I went away. I looked in the back of Marketing Week, which ironically is part of the company that I work for. The next day, I found an advert in the back of Marketing Week uh, to, um, to go and uh, to get a job. Uh, Russell Parsons, the editor of Marketing Week, very kindly found me a copy of the exact Marketing Week ad that I applied to. Um, and that was how I got my first, my first job in marketing. Um, Philofax, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think three months in, I was like, oh, God, what am I doing? I loved Filofax as a, as a, as a thing, but uh, I could already see that you know, this, this was quite one dimensional as a product. Um, and it taught me a few things. It taught me that um, it was an industry that I wanted to be in, but, the, but the sort of the ad, it was a very sales driven job as well. But the actual act of sales of a product that I couldn't really see how it was going to innovate and move forward. So I felt like I was going to be caught out quite quickly. And I then moved into a creative agency uh, working on the point of sale for the launch of Orange. So uh, all of the little um, uh, counter cards when you walk into a mobile phone shop, uh, those kind of things that we were working on. Brilliant. I loved it. Loved oh, it. Well, sales, sales promotion at its best. Let me let me tell you then, Richard, that I probably have, a I have to blame you for a few things because my very first job was actually in Orange Retail. Um, yeah. And I stood about 20 hours a week and a actually probably one of my favorite jobs in the world. But there was a... A phenomenal campaign, which was which we did in partnership with Avon. I'm not sure if you even remember it. Um, okay. Nevertheless, <laughs> yeah. nevertheless, it, it kind of went awry. But um, that's another story altogether. Richard, you know, it's funny because because every time I speak to you, I tend to start veering for big questions because I just love love your perspective on things. Um, and 
you know, the way that you came into the industry and the way that you had relative success and that conversation really resonates with me that you've had with that recruiter. Um, and you said, you know, don't play by the game, right? Uh, think yeah. around the problem. Um, and I wonder if we're coming to a point in recruitment today and, and more so maybe uh, entry-level graduate recruitment coming through where more people need to think like that. Typically, and, and by the way, not just people, not just the grads, I think companies need to think a little bit yeah. better about how they are going around and actually creating the rules. And I'd love to get your thoughts in, around that point, one from a learner or, or, or student perspective about not playing by the rules, and maybe from a, an employer perspective going, hey, we've got a problem here because actually we're not getting the right kind of people through the door. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, yeah, we, for businesses to survive as they go forward, they must have diverse teams of people. That's the people who can think, who can mind the insights, who can innovate, who can execute. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a marketing brand, it doesn't matter if you're creative agent. Why do you need that? You need it because they're going to come up with better ideas. And if they come up with better ideas, they're going to come up with better solutions. What's better solutions mean? It means that you will be able to grow your brand. You will be able to be more compelling to your customers uh, as you put them through. The challenge I always find, though, is that the way into these companies is predicated on a model that was created pre-digital. I am going to write a CV. I'm going to get some exams first and foremost. I'm then going to write a CV. I'm going to mail the CV, email the CV in. Somebody's going to read the CV who doesn't really probably know anything about the job that they're hiring for anyway. They're going to be using terms that were probably written 20 years ago. Um, and then the person's going to go to an interview. And 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 I sit there going, this is madness. And I saw a conversation that I had, so admittedly, this is, eight or nine years ago with the global HR director of one of the largest advertising holding companies out there. You know, and her position was, she said, look, and I, and I was talking to her about, you know, don't you think the whole CV model is so antiquated? Why are you forcing people to do this? And her position was, she said, look, you know, if people are so lazy that they can't send us in a CV, then why should we be considering them? And I thought, God, well, surely that in a nutshell is the problem. Because um, it's not that people aren't so lazy to send in a CV. The majority of the amazing talent has never been educated or has the experience or maybe their family members don't have the experience of, of how are you going to write a great cv and what's the subconscious bias of the person when they get it i mean anybody that works with you that knows that i get overly excited about fonts and the reason why i get overly excited about fonts is i think font a font a typeface can tell you an enormous amount about the person that sent it to you it's like so yeah did they actually care about the letter have they actually thought about this is it times new roman on a white background when they sent it in but people those kind of things matter. But so for a lot of people, when they write a CV, I know that that is a conscious bias that I have. I'm very aware of it. Now, for a lot of other people, they, won't, they just wouldn't think about this as in how they format houses. So I think that the, 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 the mechanism into a lot of companies is so antiquated and out of date. And it relies as well, crucially, on this amazing arrogance that the talent is going to come to the company. Not to be confused with the company, Going out, I, did, I gave this, I mentored this incredible school in Brixton uh, called the um, Evelyn Grace Academy. And you, you, you sort of take a group of uh, year 10s and you stay with them for two years and, and you're working your way through, um, through the amazing David McQueen, Richie, who I know that you know um, uh, when he was running Magnificent Generation. And, um, and I remember, and there was this, this moment where I was, you know, I was in talking about what I do uh, and, uh, you know, what, somebody put their hand up and, um, you know, I was probably say probably I'm going to say 96% of the class were, were non-white, and this person stuck their hand up, who is a young girl, and she said, "So when I get when I get in there, are they all going to be like you?" 
that was a big question. I said, so when you say like me, just so we're clear, do you mean I'm a man? Do you mean I'm white? Do you mean I've got a degree? Do you mean I'm from the Isle of Wight, which they knew? Do you mean I'm good looking and sexy and all those, yeah, all those things? <laughs> but, but I just said, so which, and she, I just finished, and I really asked, she said, yeah, all of that. And it was just her answer cut me dead. And I was like, Christ, because, you know, the, you know, what, what I look and sound like. To, she was like, okay, is it like that? And I said, I have to be honest, that there are too many people that look and sound like me. I said, so why am I here? And it's great. And she thought about it for about two minutes, talked to the girl next to me. She went, because you want me. I went, exactly. That's, this is, this is what we need to do. But she went, so you're here. And then she went, you're in my school. Because, oh, and but there was a sort of moment there. She's like, okay, so you're coming to me to get me to come to you. Yes, that's why I'm here. Love Not that. to be confused with an, ex- an expectation that these children would automatically, I mean, the school is brilliant. Don't get me wrong in, in how they're going to prepare the children, whether they leave at 16 or 18. But, but the, the, the arrogance that a lot of companies have that, you know, that people have to come to them as opposed to these companies actually thinking about what's the talent they need to grow their products and strategies and brands to move forward. And that talent may not know that they need to fill out a CV and find them on the website and send the stuff in because that's never been explained to them before. Richard, so so many points of wisdom. We've talked about talent. We've talked about inclusion. And I'm going to go to, actually, I'm going to go to that. You said something really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm just wired to be helpful or words of that effect. Yeah. So I'm interested to know where do you think that comes from? What does it give you? And then to link that to where does that bring you into the inclusion conversation? Because you've done so much there. Um, why do I think I'm helpful? Um, I'm not sure. I have actually asked this. I've asked myself that question quite a few times. I, just, I don't know. I like being, I've, you know, I've been a client. I've been head of marketing at McDonald's. I've been an international marketing manager at Coca-Cola. I've described I was all right uh, in those jobs. Um, I think I did okay. But I know that I'm at my happiest when I'm operating in client service. So what I mean by that is I'm happiest when I'm sort of, hanging off the striker so if you know in a football analogy where there is a client um and i'm just you know sitting there you know stitching everything together in the background and making them look amazing um i i can't really tell you why i prefer it that way but i do that's you know that that makes me, it makes me very happy when other people are performing and succeeding um and uh sorry i can't remember the second half of your question so, so, and then you you have been such a strong advocate in terms of dni yeah. DEI, whatever. So, um, you know, your story there, uh, what 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 brought you into that conversation earlier that? than most and some of the things you've done? Yeah, I think I've always been, I've always been, I've just always found, it's just, um, it's the very implausible reality that there are too many people that look and sound like me that work in an industry that is allegedly all about communications. Feels mad. Um, how is it that the... Fund, you know, the, the, the significant majority of decisions that have been to all of the things that we see on that we see on television, for example, is coming up to Christmas and the absolute significant majority of the decisions of the insights, the creativity, the execution, the production, the idea will have gone through the hands and eyes and minds of people that fit my DNA criteria. That's crazy. When you think about the multicultural society that we live in. And the need for all brands to be able to connect better with their customer um, and to enable them to think relevantly about, about the product they have. So I think quite early on, going back, I think, to my degree in educational studies, 
um, I thought actually that, you know, my, my view is always that everybody deserves an equal chance in the workplace. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. Because if you spend time with kids, what you realise is it's incredibly democratic <laughs> what's going on in a classroom. It's like children don't think, they don't see colour, they don't see uh, religion. They just mix, they talk, they're just their friends. They're people that they're, they uh, operate at. But, but for whatever it is, some people push push further and faster. And the implausible reality is that those people look and sound like me. And this is not healthy for brands. It's not healthy for agencies who are having a relationship with customers. So quite early on, um, I was very fortunate to meet Robin White, who, who set up an amazing uh, organization called the Ideas Foundation. It, it effectively, and I think it sometimes gets overlooked, it was uh, arguably the first ever uh, sort of organization in the creative industry that looked at uh, enabling students, children, these are pre-GCSE children who are from economically and geographically disadvantaged backgrounds and areas to thrive in the creative industries. Because schools at the moment, especially with the pressures of the national curriculum, pressures of STEM, they will prioritize maths and English, etc., over creative subjects. So consequently, if you're amazing at art, but not so good at maths, you're deemed a failure when you're 14 or 15, when actually you could be an incredible copywriter or art director or visualizer or graphic designer. And Robin reeled me in on the grounds of, I know that you, you know, you talk about this stuff, but what are you actually doing about it? I thought, fair challenge. I mean, this is like, you know, 2011 or 12, I can't remember. And he said, come and spend some time with us. Um, and I'd never really found the right way in uh, before then. And started off you know helping with a few small initiatives and then eventually ended up rising up to be vice chair of uh, the ideas foundation and everything sort of went from there still a snowball who you know has always been a brilliant mentor to me um sort of grabbed hold of me and said you know i'm chair of the women's uh, women in business you know i don't think you're doing enough for women and i said i'm not really sure i i know enough i don't I'm not really sure i've got a voice in that area uh, and she said well you should and i thought yeah, great. I mean, it was it was, it was quite exciting when Silla said that. I was like, good point, you know. And this was early, much earlier on in my career. At which point I said, well, what can I do? And my theory with everything in life is quite a simple philosophy that if you take care of the small things, the big things take care of themselves. So my theory was, okay, let me see what are some of the small things I can do. And I do sense because I get asked a lot by people that look and sound like me. I want to get more involved. You know, I want to get more involved in diversity. What do I do? And their theory is they're going to walk out on stage and talk to a thousand people. And I go, you don't have permission to do that. You know, what you do have permission to do is have a conversation with one person, two people that start small, take care of the small things, take care of the small things, influence one person's life. And then you are going to start getting permission over two, three, four years to then go and do that grandstanding talk that you're thinking about. Because this isn't about you with no experience talking to everybody. This is about you talking to one person and doing a hell of a lot of listening. So I think, so I always started small and then it sort of snowballs, I think a bit from there really. I sort of, so I got involved with the Women's Business Council, which got me involved in Creative Equals. I was Ali Hannah's, I think, I believe the first man actually to be involved in Creative Equals on her board. And she said, you know, we had breakfast one morning and she said, you know, in my usual way, I said, what do you need? Because I was trying to be helpful. And she said, I sort of need a, I remember she said, I need a man to come and talk about some stuff. And I was like, okay, that's me. And she said, what do you know? And I said, not enough. And she went, you're going to be perfect. Um, and sort of, and that's, that's sort of the way I've always gone. Going, you know, I'm, I'm hungry to learn. I remember um, there was an amazing neurodiversity conference that you and I were involved with, Mark, um, a few years ago. Um, 
and it was the first ever neurodiversity conference for um for the industry and and i was asked to moderate a panel which i was about and i remember the time going i don't know anywhere near enough to moderate this panel because i'm neurotypical and the person who always said i know you don't that's why i've asked you to do it because i know that you will take this seriously and i went yes and what are you going to do for the next two months and i then went on two months you know deep dive heavy learning from the four panelists you know and i just sure they're frustrated as hell with me by the end of it because I was just like, hungrily learning so that we could spend half an hour having a conversation and I could enable them to look like the superstars where I really get a point of why the industry needs more people with the skill sets that they had um, rather than less people um, so my approach is always you know, I don't know enough I know I don't know enough I'll never know enough and so I have to learn and if I keep on learning I might be able to influence one person through the small things Richard, you know, there's so many wonderful things that you've just said across across that um, that narrative there. Um, and, you know, starting out with that thought around being humble and, you know, not, you know, not in fact, the key to the, the gem of the nugget was the fact that you admit that you don't know enough, but you're goddamn well going to find out. Yeah. Um, but that little thing there has then led to so many wonderful things in your life because people then can almost consider you as a go-to guy coming to you because they know you're going to be helpful and yet they know you're going to take it seriously and yet be humble enough to admit when what you know and what you don't. It's just really, really great. And, um, and you know, you mentioned the word snowball a few times and I mm. thought that was a really lovely turn of phrase or a word to use because actually, you know, it, it feels very organic. It feels like you're just doing what you do and, and whilst you, you know, you're, you're in your happy place, things just start to happen because you're operating in your, your optimal because you're just so happy yeah. in the world that you're in. But, you know, that would that probably is only half the story as far as I'm concerned. And the reason why I say that is because I think when we speak, you talk about careers and the way you navigate scenarios as as a game of chess. Mm -hmm. And I loved I loved that that thinking too. So there's a there's a wonderful sort of paradox or polar opposite, one being organic snowball and the other being actually you've got to have a little bit more thought into some of the actions you take. And I'd love just to get your thinking around how you navigate that balance. Yeah, the, the game of chess knowledge is a good one. I mean, I, 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 I'm always trying to think two steps ahead or three steps ahead. And my, my, when you end up being a really helpful person, when you end up crucially knowing that you're going to work in client service, is what I know, after a time, everything becomes quite predictable. Um, and so... Things being predictable means that, you know, very senior marketers like Mark, for example, will have a finite number of problems. Um, they might not know it. And the words coming out of their mouths might be the same from one CMO to the next. But actually, there's a predictable number of problems that they're going to come to me with. Um, it might be that whatever words come out, it might be they need a new agency. It might be they need new ways of working. It might be they need to uh, sort out their organizational design. It might be that uh, the chief exec hates them for whatever reason. But there's a predictable number of things. So actually being two steps ahead means that you can, you can all the information is there for someone like me right in front of me through either personal networks or reading annual general reports or spending time looking at recent interviews and articles. All the signs are there. You just have to know what they are. And then when you know what they are, you can then be one step ahead of the person so that, you know, the words coming out of their mouth, it's not that you're trying to be clever. It's just like, oh, that's really interesting because I've just seen this. And, I, and therefore, I think the challenge you're going to be facing is, this, this, and this. Um, and uh, yeah, it's sort of the being one set, we're looking around the second bend. It's sort of, it's always trying to work out what's the, there was, I, I don't even know if this story is true, but I heard the story about um, 
Stephen uh, Hendry versus Steve Davis. These two snooker players way back in the day. Steve Davis was the king of snooker, and Steve Hendry was then the young, the young chancer, the young lad who then overtook him. Alex Hendry, I think it was Alex Hendry, Steve Hendry, I can't remember. Anyway, but the point of the story was that uh, somebody said, oh, when an interview said, you know, why are you so much better than Steve Davis? How did you make that happen? He said, oh, well, I once heard Steve Davis give an interview and he said he always thought three shots ahead. So I thought if I could think four shots ahead, I'd beat him. And I thought that's just genius, absolutely genius. And so my approach to life is sort of this bit about, well, if somebody else is trying to be two moves ahead, well, I'll just try to be three moves ahead. Um, and so it is organic in the sense, again, but... I find that the, the 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 more I do to sort of almost like a spider's web, but that makes me sound quite sort of a bit mean and evil, um, especially with my hands suddenly going like this, but it's sort of, it's, or maybe a puppeteer, it's sort of just having, the spider's web analogy is having sort of just feelers out there that you know, just things are happening. It's like annual general reports are brilliant because if you read everyone's annual general reports, what you find buried in them every time, giving away all my trade secrets, you suddenly read, we're going to have a big e-commerce strategy next year. And you go, oh, that's interesting because I know that their e-commerce sucks. So it's, chances are the CMO is going to be, is going to have a budget and a strategic imperative to go after e-commerce. So let's steer the conversation around to that. And there were little nines have that. God, you're complete. How on earth did you know that I needed that? Uh, you're like, well, I don't know. It's just, it just happened magically, didn't it? Um, so, so the sort of the, the spider's web analogy sort of works. It's just sort of being able to just, just try to be two or three steps ahead. And that's just being helpful, frankly. You're just constantly listening and learning from everybody else around you. Love that. And of course, chess is a game of diversity. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Scylla Snowball, great mentor, helped you a lot. Absolutely brilliant. You, you are a brilliant mentor for Mentoring Gen Z, the School of Marketing's mentoring scheme, uh, where we're trying to help people on their way. Um, what, just to double down on that, what, what has mentoring been for you? And what do you get out of mentoring? Yeah, it's... Uh, Mentoring for me in a, it ensures that I am perpetually learning. So, like I said, I, I, I don't know enough. I know I don't know enough, you know, and it's like I'm, I'm constantly, my fear, I mean, he made a joke at the start about it being 50. I mean, my fear is that I just, I just don't know enough. I mean, the metaverse has come, I'm like, I don't know about that. You know, I, I need to learn about that really, really, really fast. You know, I was in a meeting last week where someone was talking about Simon Sinek, uh, the, is now massive on TikTok pulling huge, huge numbers. You know, it's like, okay, I know a lot about TikTok. I don't know enough about TikTok in the, in the question that was being asked around, what are we going to do for other people like Simon Sinek? It was like, great question. But, you know, I couldn't confidently give them an answer. I can now one week on. But um, the, so the, the thing about mentoring is, is it, is it, A, I'm invested in taking care of the small things and just hopefully influencing, you know, individuals helping them uh, to be better and to open doors everywhere that I can. Um, but the other part of mentoring is it's just, I get so much back. I mean, I joke the majority of the time that I get, I, I'm, I am always the person being mentored because I'm sitting in with people. You know, I always, you know, I've got a very, very simple philosophy when it comes to mentoring that, uh, that, you know, I'd encourage everybody to do, which is that I love mentoring, but I will never mentor anybody that looks and sounds like I do. And I'm very straightforward on that point with the organisations I work with. It's not because I don't want people that can sound like me to succeed, but I, but there's enough people that can sound like me, frankly. And I, I know that, you know, the mentee, hopefully, and I will get more out of the experience if I'm not talking to somebody that's got the same backgrounds and opportunities that, that I had. And so I think 
you know, I, I, I'd be lying. So I don't, you know, I, I, I like mentoring. I enjoy it. I really do. I have a sort of a, in my head, I have a kind of, I have a nine to five life and I have a five to nine life. And so my five to nine life is all about, is all about meeting people, mentoring people, learning, growing. It's all about just, you know, keeping on pushing out the, the personal network. So, as you know, I'm a mentor for about 10 different organizations and yeah. you know, it does get to a point where you have to go, oh, that's, that's the maximum that I can do. And, you know, I think I, I'm fortunate. I've just had some phenomenal mentees. And I think I have been shown, you know, the, the right way of doing things by people in my life, which, you know, someone like Silas Noble, you know, gives enormously. But she's she's very good with the carrot and the stick. She's very good at, you know, highlighting what I need to be doing more of and where I need to be leaning in and why haven't I done that? Now, maybe she's got more confidence in doing that because I'm, you know, I'm into my career. But um, but it's great, you know, and I think the, the fun thing for me is I always say to the mentees, that, you know, most organisations, I don't know, I've been with NABS and Beamer and Who's Your Mama and Crazy Vehicles, all these organisations as well as self, say it's a six-month engagement. And I always say to all the mentees going, you know, I'm not one for the rules. It's like, okay, so let's, let's just get rid of that one straight away. Uh, you can bring me whenever you like. It doesn't matter if it's that important to you, get in touch. And I had a, a mentee I hadn't spoken to for two years and she, I thought I'd call at 10 o'clock uh, a couple of months ago, 10 p.m. at night. Um, and she was like, you know, I've got to go in and give this massive presentation tomorrow. She's a creative director. Uh, this is who I'm presenting to. I know that you know them. Uh, this is what I'm presenting. I need to run through it with you tonight before the presentation at 9am tomorrow morning. I went, great, brilliant. I loved it. Great use of my time. Gave her some advice. And she phoned me up the next day and said, smashed it. Absolutely loved it. But the, the way she was about to present the work, which was brilliant, I was not going to chime with the individual that she was presenting it to. Um, and it's because the way that that person thought was they needed to have here is the big idea. Let's have a conversation about the words for the big idea first, because they're left brain logic individual. I want to understand the words first. And only when I've reassured myself that I understand the intellectual aspects of what you're presenting to be, can you get the pictures out of the bag? And her approach is going to be, let me show you the pictures and then we'll talk about the idea. So just reverse that. And that's, that's, that's what you want. That's the kind of mentoring relationship that, I, that inspires me, excites me. You know, there's a real common thread there that, you know, throughout throughout the session, um, and, you, and you kind of encapsulated it a lot by saying you need to learn and be curious. But actually, in that example you gave there, Richard, it's around really understanding your audience and the nuances of which the way your audience wants to to have something, you know, to them. It's classic, mm -hmm. classic marketing in some ways, but you're obviously distilling it into a specific scenario, which is interesting. The other interesting thing that you said, by the way, is you said that... Um, I'm part of 10 different mentoring initiatives. And I think at some point I've got to think that's enough. Uh, I wonder if, you know, 10 is probably a little bit too much anyway. You've already tipped yourself into it, but, but yeah. there you go. Um, I, think I, want... that, I think a bit of it is, is it, I'm not, I, I don't have mentees in each one of those organizations all at the same time, but it is, it's just, you know, I, I, I struggle a bit when, you know, you've got organizations that need help and that I know that. I've got the opportunity to either just connect up some dots or connect some yeah. people or open some doors. And, you know, that's, but that's about a struggle we say no to. The only the thing that I would sort of reflect on then is, you know, clearly as part of that, you actually are running a very, very important organization and a very busy day job. And the, the whole helpfulness can actually turn into exhaustion if you're not careful. And I just want to get your thoughts on actually how do you manage it all? How do you kind of create this little balance in your life, particularly when, I know yep. you've got, you know, a personal life that you need to, to give time so, to as well. So the, the good news is every single organization that I work with impacts positively my job. So 
what you're not hearing me saying is, you know, I'm mentoring in the engineering industry or the, I don't know, the sports industry or the whatever. It's it's um, everything. I know that the more input I put into that, the easier my day job gets because the network grows bigger. The favors I have this sort of trick that I do or trick I have. A, relationship that everybody knows I sort of I operate in a currency of finance and favors you know I'm very happy working for favors not rather than finance it's just because you know because if you pay things forward the entire time it, al- it always comes back in the future and people can help you when you need them so uh, so operating as long as as long as I mentally make sure that all of the people I'm helping all the organization followers they are all in the land of digital marketing creativity that sort of that sort of space it means that all of these people help me in the future all those organizations how do I get access to people a lot more senior than I do in the industry it's because I've got access to all these different organizations and so so it makes my day job easier quicker faster more seamless the more I engage in the industry's inclusion diversity and equality programs the significant ease it is to do my actual day job um so that's pretty and then and then family life you know I'm, I'm very fortunate I'm married to an amazing woman I've got two brilliant daughters um one's just started university the other's um uh school in streatham and yeah the nice thing is i mean they're they're brilliant supportive um you know and it's just i think we're lucky we're, we're quite a tight unit uh we're all very we're all very good friends i think uh, more than anything and they and the girls of my daughters and my wife everybody's like has the same sort of mindset and thought process as to um as to what you need to contribute to be able to just push everybody forwards, make things better. And so it's nice. It, it, it makes for very constructive conversations at home. And the, and the nice thing is, I know they'll watch this eventually, I get loads of feedback. Um, and that's great because, it, you know, there's, there's nothing better. The, the best feedback you get is from the people closest to you um, and say, well, wouldn't have done that, should have done that. Why didn't you do this? Do you think that's a bit too much? And so and that, that's incredibly helpful to me because I know that they mean it uh, when they give it. What a, what a lovely vibe you've given off with that answer. Um, and I know you've worked very hard to make what you've done in the world. Um, in, embedded in what, everything you've said is so much advice. So unfortunately, final question comes around. It's gone in a flash, hasn't it? But yeah. what, what, as people think about hybrid working, the metaverse, the disruption to the customer journey that you mentioned or the destruction of the customer journey, what, what is perhaps the single piece of advice you'd give to marketers trying to make their way in the world? No small question. <sighs> Yeah, great. Um, thanks, Mark. Uh, and I'm now just thinking about, oh, I need to say something really, really clever. My advice is this, is that the thing that's happened, the thing that has fundamentally changed in marketing in the last 18 months is that every single human being has digitally transformed. So we used to talk about digital transformation being all about companies. But successful digital transformation is 90% people and 10% tech. Companies, though, only ever focus on the 10%. They never focus on the 90%, whether that be the customers or their own people. What the pandemic did was it meant that we all suddenly had to focus on the 90%. So human beings have now become uh, consumers. They consume content. They purchase product 168 hours of the week. That's just the mathematical equation 24-7. So that whenever they want to consume content, whenever they want to purchase product, they can do it. However, whenever they like. Here's the challenge for marketers. Marketing departments still follow the hours that retail shops uh, used in about the 1950s. So 
you are 38 hours a week. I mean, back in the 1950s, you had half day, tra- half day trading on a Wednesday and you worked on a Saturday morning. But so marketing departments are closed for significantly more than the customer is open. 130 hours a week, marketing departments are shut. So here's a thought for marketers. What are you going to do to bridge the gap? What are you going to now? There's, there's a bunch of options here. You could work three shifts in a day. That's fine. I mean, it works for retail. It works for McDonald's where I used to work. It's like seamless, effortless, brilliant, because the customer now works in real time. They operate in real time. So as a marketer, you need to understand MarTech. You need to understand ad tech. You need to maybe think about flexible working hours. We all talk about flexible working hours, but hell, now's the time to do flexible working hours um, because the customer doesn't care about retail trading hours of the 1950s, they care about 168 hour economy on their smartphone. So if I was a marketer now, that's the single biggest thing that would be um, keeping me awake at night. What am I doing in the 130 hours a week that the customer is out there happily trading, but I am closed for business. You just need to, you know, I've used an analogy on a lot of conferences where I've just had a big closed sign on a shop door saying that that's the for most customers again, I don't need marketers to be working at midnight, but I need them to think hard about how are they filling, how through the digital transformation of human beings are they going to fill that 130 hours a week? That is absolutely mind-blowing and mind-boggling, as as has the entire conversation been for me, quite frankly. It's been so enriching, honestly. And that and that thought, just the analogy you painted and, and the image that you've left in my mind is just incredible, actually. And and actually, you know, really shift that needle in, in, in how I need to think about things. And clearly at the School of Marketing, where we're, you know, we're teaching marketers how to be better, that embryonic thought is something that's that's really going to stay with me, and I'm going to think about how how best to embed. So, you talked about the need to to leave with a powerful word, and and you certainly have there, Richard. So, thank you so much for that. Thank you for everything. Quite frankly, um, I'm going to try and do my best to sum up just some of our key thoughts on this conversation, and then I'll pass over to Mark for a close. So, I mean, in the first instance, you know, kicking off with the metaverse, a massive topic in itself, and. And the need really to kind of get our heads around this and figure out then what implications it has for us and our industry, as well as the consumer, of course, as we move forward, is going to be something that all of us will probably spend a lot of our, our mind's eye on for quite some time to come. Um, you know, the when coming back to yourself personally and, and you know, perhaps what encapsulates you and where you, where you sort of got your purpose from was the need to be in control and take control. And very early on, as you talked about your A-level experience, which I'm sure lots of people listening to this conversation can relate to, has become really important. And and I think that that thought around, you know, turning a situation, that little moment where you could have walked out the door, but actually, no, you used it to your advantage to get some advice, to get some insight. Now, those are small moments in life. Um, as you said, sweat the small things, right? But that's a small moment in life. That's You, you took advantage, you grab with both hands, and you kind of say, look, I'm going to make a, I'm going to turn a, good, a bad situation good out of here. And I really do hope that everyone listening kind of feel, feel, thinks about how they could do the same. Um, don't play by the rules and think around the problem. Definitely comes through in spades, and I suspect your clients feel that's a real common strand that you bring to the party every day. Think about how you can not play by the rules and, and think about how you can define and read define problems i love your a- anecdote around fonts man i never even thought about this phenomenal Actually. right come on guys get your fonts right um richard will be watching um and uh, you know the the thought around you being happiest when when you are helpful is really great and and the 
the, then the thought then become around the snowball effect that then happens as a consequence of that is just really powerful and something all of us need to take away. Um, the final thing I would say, game of chess. Just remember, guys, if your competitors are two moves ahead, just always be three. So I'm going to leave a, a couple of nuggets left for Mark, I'm sure, because there's just so many. But Richard, just a massive, massive thank you. Honestly, it's thank been you. a brilliant conversation. Yeah, good job, Richie. Um, I'm going to try and boil it down to a few key words that Richard evokes in me. Um, the first is reflective, uh, in that you've really distilled the learnings from the key moments in your life, which is we're all a product of our past. So that was very impressive. Um, the second is the curiosity. I, I don't know enough. I've got to keep learning. I've got to learn about neurodiversity. I've got to learn about Simon Sinek on TikTok. Never know. Being slightly paranoid that you just don't know enough. Brilliant. All marketers need to hear that. The, the third is principled. I won't mentor people like me. Um, the implausible reality of people looking like me and so on. So very principled. Fourth, congruent. I mean, this sort of like a general feeling that you've got alignment in your thinking and your actions. Um, and I think all, all power for that. And then finally, of course, ending on the note of being helpful, as Richie's talked about, there's just something which is true about that. I mean, it does happen to align to client services, but I suspect it sort of probably runs even a bit deeper than that. And so I'll, I'll end where I started, which say, you know, which in summary, therefore, I think you do qualify as a thoroughly good bloke. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Richard. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. I know that our listeners will have done. So that's a wrap, but thank you enormously. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege to come on. And uh, and I'm so proud to be part of the School of Marketing. It is phenomenal. And uh, I'm really looking forward to mentoring, coaching and giving more to you.